0: Good morning, guys. Uh, I'm Jeff Oldham. I'm the executive pastor here. I'm not the teaching pastor. Uh, Todd Sapisa was on a study leave this last week, and I talked to him this morning. He said it went wonderfully. He just sat with the Lord and just looked at the year ahead to see where our Melanie Park family would be. And so we're just grateful that he could take that time. But because he did that, he said, you have to preach. And I was like, no. And he said, yes. And I was like, no. And he was like, yes. He said, I'll, I'll fire you. I was like, okay, I'll preach. So that's the kind of guy that leads our church right there. Just kidding. None of that really happened. All right. So we're going to start a new series, um, four-week series called Grace Upon Grace. Man, I, I, I don't know about you but I've been thinking about this week, maybe you haven't, but this idea of waves of grace. I need that desperately. Hopefully this morning, we'll walk through one of the rhythms of the Christian life that really magnify God's grace. And so we've got four different um, rhythms Uh, where Grace is Magnified. The first one is going to be Devote Daily. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Second one's going to be Gather Weekly. The third one's Pursue Relationally. And the last one's Engage Missionally. So hopefully you guys can join us for the next four weeks as we just talk about God's grace towards us. What a great way to open the, the year 2022. And so right off the bat, though, I think What you guys will do, though, is when you hear the term devotion, you're going to think, oh, he's going to give us five steps to a spicy, quiet life. (laughs) And you're like, oh, that doesn't sound, especially people that have been around church culture for a while, that's really where your mind will go. But I'm not so sure that's going to increase my affections for Jesus. I mean, a good quiet time is great. But I'm not so sure that's going to dig down into the deeper places in me. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look in the deeper spots of where God works to really determine what does daily devotion look like and maybe even um, why we do that. Because this is the idea is that I hope that seeing him for who he is and seeing us in relationship to him will really increase our desire for a daily devotion. And I was talking to Todd about this last week, and I said, what do you think is like a primary? When we walk out of here on Sunday, what do you guys think would be something that would be life-giving to me? And this were, these were his terms. He said, what I hope everybody in the room uh, realizes is that daily devotion is an opportunity to linger in the presence of God. It's not about a quiet time or whether I read my Bible too much or not enough or I pray enough. It's the opportunity to linger in God's presence. And that's beautiful. So before we jump out here, let's pray that that happens, that our hearts are yielded to a good and gracious God and that we leave here with the understanding that we have an opportunity to linger in his presence. So let's pray. Father God, you are sovereign. May your words and truths be magnified through your truths today. Settle our hearts to a rhythm that beats with yours. Grace upon grace. As we walk through this life and perfectly your waves of grace wash over us. So God, please, through the work of the Holy Spirit, speak boldly your truths. And, and as we look into opportunities just to linger with you. We'll take this moment in time just to do that this morning. Through the words of your truth, Father. Father, we pray that all of this is to your glory and to our good. We pray this in the beautiful, and strong, and magnified name of Christ. Amen. All right, when I was in college, I wanted to be a comic book artist. I know that's weird, and my dad said, you'll never, do it. You'll never make it. I mean, obviously, his uh, prophecy became true because I never was a comic book artist. But that, for a, a few years of my life, that's what I was devoted to. I wanted to go to college to be a comic book artist. I have a pretty good, God-given talent of drawing. I could draw anything. It's incredible. I was telling uh, Brad Hodge this morning, I was like, it's, it's a worthless, uh, I mean, it's a worthless uh, skill because people are like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. But nobody ever pays me money to do it. And so <laughs> it's crazy. It's just, it's one of those things. But I thought, man, I could be a comic book artist. I loved Marvel comics and I like to draw. So I, w- I came to Texas Tech University, enrolled in their art program, devoted my life to it. I got all the pencils, got all the equipment. I drew, I went all the the drawing classes, the painting classes, everything. I was like, man, this is so much fun. I even developed a comic book character called Mr. Thunder. Man, this guy was big and hulky. And I was like, that's who I wanna be. I was skinny, I was not hulky. And I was like, woo. And so he was kind of this um, uh, projection of the self I wanted to be. And I devoted myself to it. The problem is, I saw the the, um, the talent of everybody else in the program, I thought, I'm really kind of middle of the road, working for Marvel Comics, there's only a handful of people that do that, and it kind of came to an end pretty quickly. The worst part was when I did show somebody my drawings of uh, Mr. Thunder, they were like, is that a WWE wrestler? And I was like, oh, well, it's not a superhero, so... The the problem was is that I had devoted so much time to it, and at the end of that uh, process, I went into art, but I went into teaching art, which led to lots of different avenues for me. But it wasn't what I had projected to be my life to be, and that's okay. I went into teaching. I got to really develop lots of kids, and I thought that was really cool. The problem is is that at that age, I really thought what I'm devoting my life to be, what I'm putting my time and energy towards, because here's Webster's dictionary's definition of what devotion is. It says that we give all or part or a large part of one's time, resources to a person, activity, or cause. That's what I was doing with my life back in college. This is pre-Jesus. But everybody sitting in this room devotes their life to something. So here's the question. What is that? What captures your imagination? Seriously, think through this. What is it that your mind wanders into? What are your hopes and dreams for the future? Let's just take a moment to, to think about that. Is it a job or a career or relationships? What about kids or family? What about buying a house, grades in school? What college you'll attend next year? It may be church. It could be sports or adventure, a vacation. It could be a new kitchen. That'd be kind of fun to devote my time and thoughts to. Now, here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with these interests, nothing. These, your dreams and desires, those are God-given. The problem is, is that we misplace those. We make them the primary object of our devotion. We begin to over-desire the things of this earth. The the Bible calls that word epithemia. It's a word that means to over-desire. It's describing a human tendency to covet things, to lust for, to chase after. So this morning, let's talk about the idea of how do we keep our devotion pointed in a God-honoring direction. Uh, well, God in his goodness has given us his word, and so he's given us, me a passage, and I prayed about this, and I was like, God, where do the inclinations or tendencies of my heart to run to you, where is that in your word? So I really prayed about this, and one of my favorite passages is Colossians 3. So we're going to take apart the first 17 verses of Colossians 3. Here's what we're going to do, though. Here's, here's where we're headed this morning. We're going to define devotion. We're going to look at distractions towards our devotion. We're going to look at the reason for our devotion. And the last two, an overflow of our devotion, and then possibly some practical pathways of creating a daily devoted life. So let's just jump in. If you got your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. And it's going to be uh, right at the beginning there, verse 1. And so if you don't have a Bible, they're going to be up on the screens. Paul starts writing to the church of Colossae, and he says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of this earth. Now, just a little context here. This is the third chapter, and so he says um, that at the very beginning, if then you have been raised, if then is projecting or looking back at the first two chapters, what was going on at the church in the Colossian church, and this is what it was. They were starting to use man-made constructs as their, as their avenue of devotion to God, man-made constructs. And one of them was this highly rigid very uh, dogmatic kind of process of you must do these things to be in Christ. And so Paul's taken that apart the first two chapters. And in the chapter three, he says, listen, you guys are way off base here. Now, here's the problem. I think he's talking to us now. 2,000 years later, he's saying, What you guys have a tendency to do is make it into this checklist of things that we need to take care of to devote our lives to the Lord. Five steps to a spicy quiet time. He says, I want to re-center, reorient you back to what is most good. So look at the two things he says. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, and he says, Set your minds on the things above. When he says, Seek the things, he's saying, What does your heart desire? So it's, the heart, it's at the desires of the heart level, and then it's at the, the, the level of our thoughts. He says, What we think about, what we desire, what we chase after, he says, Set those things on the things that are above. Now, uh, Paul makes this incredible identity claim next. And these two things are tied together. So see what he does here, and then we'll go back to the first two verses. And verse three says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is reminding us where our identity is. This is very important. Our identity and our desires are closely locked. And so Paul is saying that it's in Christ. For those of us who have placed our trust in Christ's work, his life, his death, his death on the cross, that even it allows us to sit here, um, his resurrection proving his deity, and that even death couldn't hold him, uh, that when our faith is in Jesus, we come to understand that he is our life. Now, I want this to make sure that we get this very clearly. These are very powerful verses. And verse 3 says, For you have died. I want, to sit, I want that to just sit for a second. I am no longer Jeff Oldham. That was born May 7, 1967. That Jeff Oldham died about 20 years ago when Christ walked into my life. He left the 99 sheep and came after the one. And he's done that for each one of you who has put your life in Christ. He's saying, when when Christ who is your life, that's echoed again in Galatians 2.20 when Paul says to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The issue is that when our identities change, our desires change. The desires of our heart, we are reoriented in Christ. If you haven't had a chance to hear Todd's sermon from last week, I would highly recommend going and listening to that. It was was fantastic. It reorients our hearts to our identity in Christ. And it gives us some really wonderful, practical ways of, of looking at that or technologically gifted church. Um, <laughs> you heard Doug talk about those little squares. Those are QR codes. So uh, you can use those. We're a highly technological church. Go on our website, go on YouTube, and you can hear any of those last sermons. But I do absolutely recommend you go and listen to Todd's sermon from last week. It's fantastic. It's a, great, it's a great preemptive sermon to what we're talking about this morning. But here's the deal. I I don't always feel like I'm in Christ. Because the desires for the things of this world can be powerfully distracting. The allure of things. That's what Jesus calls it in Mark chapter 4. When he's going through the parable of the sower. He says, we're distracted by the allure of things. The desire for the things of this world. Now, uh, so God knows that this is going to happen to us. And I think that we are the most distracted culture in the history of cultures. Now, you think, are we really? Okay, let me give you an example. This, is, this happens to me all the time. I'm stopped at a stoplight in Lubbock, Texas. There's a car in front of me. I'm the second car. You guys with me so far? Light turns green. What happens? You guys are mumbling. I don't, if you said they're going, I did. This is independent research, independent research. Seven out of 10 times, they don't go when the light turns green. I'm like, did anybody teach them to drive? So I started paying attention. Why aren't people leaving from the light when it turns green? Boom. Cell phone. I'm telling you, every time I look up, somebody, their heads down. And I'm guilty of it too. So if you've been behind me and haven't gone and you've honked and then yelled at me, I'm sorry, that's all I can say. I try not to do that. The point is, is that we are highly distracted. There are thousands of apps, hundreds of channels on TV, years of material on YouTube. There's TikTok, Instachat, Snapgram. The younger crowd are like, That's not even close. (laughs) So God knows this is going to happen to us. We are distracted from the very beginning of time, from Adam and Eve through the Israelites passed on to us. We wear an Adam suit, or for our female group in here, an Eve suit. We wear that. We wear the sin of our original human fathers and mothers we're distracted. Look back through the Old Testament. How distracted were the Jewish Israelite people? And he knows this, and he knows his generation is the same way. So Paul goes on in chapter 3, verse 5, says this, put to death therefore, this is verse 5, what is earthly in you. He's saying, we got to kill these things off before they kill us. These distractions of life, although they are, seem meaningless, can be very, very unhealthy for us. The current generation, the time they spend on screen time is absolutely incredible. And, and many of us are, are guilty of it as well. We are distracted. He says this, here's some things that distract you. Sexual immorality, impurity. I was just trying to look at an article about Texas Tech's win over Kansas last night. Wreck them, by the way. And so they won. They, I was like, man, that's exciting. So I'm starting to read an article. I get to the bottom of the article. There's a ad that says, 10 hottest wives of the NFL quarterbacks. What does that have to do with my article of Texas Tech and Kansas basketball game? It's meant to distract me. This world is built around some sort of sexual inclination. And are we going to give in to it? And it says sexual immorality, impurity. Paul knows those things are going to lure us into distractions. Then he says this, passion. Now, the word passion here doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to be passionate about things. So I went and looked up that cross reference in Ephesians 4:22. He gives a definition that says deceitful desire. What that means is that those are things that look really good. That we're like, man, that would be really good for my life. Mine would be some sort of soccer equipment or some good golf clubs. I would look at that and go, there's nothing really wrong with that, and they're not. What happens though is those are deceitful. None of the things of this world. Make good saviors, popularity, wealth, a really great career. That's awesome that you guys have really great careers out there. But they can never be a good savior. We're never going to find our full satisfaction in these things. So he says, be aware of those. Those are deceitful desires. Just be aware they're never going to do what they promise to do. The next one's evil desires. Those are the ones that we do know. We still choose to do them anyway. Then he goes on and says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, covetousness just means comparison. I look at something somebody else has, and I think, man, I could use that. So I'm going to get that. I'm going to chase after that. And where do we find that? Social media. We are a voyeuristic society. We look into other people's lives and we're going, man. And it does two really destructive things. One, and so just be aware of this. That's what Paul's saying. One is we look at people on social media and go, oh, I want to be just like that person. They have things and are doing things what I want to to have and do. That's covetousness. The other thing it does, and it's really, really evil, is that I look at other people and go, ooh, I don't want to be that guy. And so we start comparing ourselves. And so social media is not evil in itself, but it is distracting. And on, this is what he says. In verse 6, he says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. <laughs> I was like, that's good news. I mean, <laughs> really? The wrath of God? There are consequences. As we are distracted by the things of this world, there are consequences to it. We lose sight of what is good, pure, lovely, admirable, noble, true, excellent, and right. And we look to things that we think are going to promise and give us things that are going to satisfy us. And the truth is, if you've lived life long enough, you know this. They don't. And there are consequences in relationships when those things happen. When we're distracted from the things of our God and the important relationships in our world, and we don't focus on those, and we don't pay attention to those, and those don't intersect with the desires of our heart, our relationships suffer. Paul goes on then. He says, in these two we once walked, these desires, these distractions, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Here's why. Here's some of the reactions to when we Our distractions move towards things that are not in Christ. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do you not find yourself, when you're distracted by the things of this world, more angry, more frustrated, more anxious? It's a truth. When I'm not focused on a good and loving king, and I'm focused on the things of this world... I'm anxious, and it seems like all the time, and Paul's saying that's just an outflow of our distraction, and then he says, um, do not lie to one another. I start being deceptive in the things that I'm looking at and going towards because I don't want people around me knowing, and so our lives become dual lives, deception, and he's saying, seeing that you have put off the old self that adam suit that eve suit with its practices and have put on the new self christ which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator that's an awesome line what sanctification is is that we start stop looking more and more like jeff oldham and a little bit more like jesus every day that's sanctification And my hope this morning is that Christ is magnified in me to you. Because Jeff Oldham's a knucklehead. There's a whole room full of knuckleheads in here being transformed into the image of Christ. And this is a beautiful thing. 2,000 years ago, he's addressing things that we, in our world, think are preeminent. He says, when we start to look a little more like our creator, verse 11 here or 10 here, there is not Greek or Jew. Our nationalities are not preeminent to Christ in us. Living in America is an awesome thing and we're here by God's design. But just because we're Americans does not supersede us being in Christ. We don't look at other nationalities and go, man, those guys are weird or whatever we want to say we look at those around us and they and especially those that are in Christ and we look at them and say you were made in the image of God just like I was there's not circumcised or uncircumcised please don't write me emails on there there's not vaxxed and unvaxxed let it ripple we're in Christ it died why are we so divisive? Because we're distracted by the things of this world. No, no. We're going to be loving and kind because check this out. So he, he says, we're not slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Christ is all in all, not us. Not us. It's not my gender because I'm because I'm a man, I deserve these things. Because I'm a woman, I deserve these things. Because I'm American, I deserve these things. Because I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I'm Don't send me emails. <laughs> Christ, live him out. He says, "Keep my eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world." You want to change the conversation. You want to change the verbiage. Live out Christ. And he tells you, and I think there are people in this room that don't believe in Jesus. Every morning, Sunday morning, we have people and they're like, "Mm, I want to come see what's going on here. And they're saying, I'm not convinced he's worth following. I, I, I don't see that. I would say that there's probably believers in this room that say, man, following Jesus is hard. Sometimes it's hard to do that. As, this, as Brian was talking about, this is, we're, this is not easy. Is he worthy? Well, Paul reminds us of the reason of our devotion. And I love this part because it's a little bitty verse kind of packed right in the middle. And if we miss it, we miss him. And it's verse 12, at the very beginning, 12a. He says, put on then. Remember, we're taking off the Adam suit. We're taking off the Eve suit. We're putting on Christ. He says, put on then. And the reason he says that we can put on then, listen, this is so beautiful. As God's chosen ones, you're not an accident. I'm not an accident. He doesn't make junk made us. I cre- he created us in his image. And here's the reasons why he did it. He said, first of all, because I can make you holy, because you can't. That's self-righteousness. I can work. I, can, I got five. Somebody in this room could probably get up and preach a message, five beautiful steps to a spicy, quiet time. And you're like, man, these are awesome. But does it change who I am? Only he does that. Holiness is his. And through the death on the cross of Jesus Christ, we are made righteous. That's a gift. I can't judge the world around me that way because I'm nothing. I'm dead. Only in Christ am I alive. And this is the last one, and we can't miss it. He says, holy and beloved. Break that word down. Be loved. We can only love because he loved us first, 1 John 4. We are incapable of love. We only know what love is because he loved us first. He, we are the apple of his eye. He looks at us and he says, I love you. I pursue you. I desire you. Todd keeps telling me he, Jesus is the, is the, Remind me of the quote. He's the of my soul. He's the lover of my soul. Todd's like, what? (laughs) What are you looking at me for? Jesus is the lover of my soul. This wasn't an accidental plan. We're not sitting here on accident. He loves us. He desires us. He pursues us. And he can make us holy by the death of his son on, on the cross. It doesn't have anything to do with me. He hung on the cross. Galatians 2:20 said, "I was crucified with him, though. I'm no longer living. It's not I who live, but He who lives in me." So Paul goes on to show us that when our identity is found in Christ and our devotion is a response to who God is and has already done, the work He's already done, that there's an overflow. Remember what I said? We're not Greek or Jew. We're not circumcised or uncircumcised. We're in Christ. He says the outflow of understanding what that is in this world, I don't know how to project this. This world is desperate for what we're about to read. In Christ is the only way we change the conversation. It says we we have compassionate hearts. Verse 12, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. Doesn't our world need this? If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Here's why. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. He forgave all things for me. And if you guys knew my past, I'm not so sure you would have hired me, although the elders had heard my past. But some of you are like, whoo, that guy was messed up. And then Jesus walked out of heaven put me on his shoulders and said, come with me. And he changed my heart, the desires of my heart. And he says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He desires unity for us. And look at this, and let the peace of Christ, if you're anxious today, If you'll just look up, we're going to talk about this in a second, we'll just look up that peace of Christ, let it rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and I love this, and be thankful. Again, go check out Bruce Shubielka's sermon from two weeks ago. He does an amazing job of saying when we reorient our hearts to Christ, we become a people of gratitude. Not grumbling. And so Paul didn't make this up out of thin air. He's just restating what Jesus claimed. Chapter 15 of John. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches who abides in me. I abide in him. Bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Guys, nothing that comes out of us. Us. The old Adam suit. The old Eve suit is good. Nothing. Nothing. It's tainted with us. Only when we abide in Christ does anything good come out of us. That's the fruit of our lives. So Paul has shown us how to define devotion, set our hearts and minds on the things of God, to be aware of the distractions of this world. The reason we devote our lives he is because he is worthy of our devotion, that our devotion to God overflows into our relationships and everything that we do. But my wife said, man, that's, that's good, that's good. But what's that look like? So for you pragmatics out there that need a little bit of uh, structure to this, Paul gives it to you. He says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's beautiful, isn't it? John 1 says the Word became flesh. When we spend time in God's Word, we spend time with our Savior, our King. That's how we keep our hearts and minds and sights on the things above God's Word. What does that look like to you? Go Google five steps to a spicy quiet time. Maybe you'll get that. I don't, I don't know what it looks like to everyone. But what it looks like to me is I, I desire, because my heart's, changed a desire to spend time with him in, in the morning, in the evening. And I'm not going to say every day, but he removes, he, he moves again back to my inclinations to him. And I look at his word and I say that is life-giving. And what that does is that he says, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. When we spend time in God's word, then we can admonish, encourage, move each other towards Christ. We can sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Man, was worship this morning, the worship songs this morning, did that seriously? I mean, I was back there. I was like, yep, I'm going to be a mess when I stand up. By God's grace, tears dried up. I'm good to go. But man, my heart was moved. Thank you, Brian, and to the worship team. Songs. Sometimes I lay in my floor and I just let Carrie Job sing of God's goodness my heart moves towards him. And with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, that means even the mundane things. When our hearts are positioned towards Christ and Christ alone, picking up the kids is an act of worship. Doing the dishes is an act of worship. Those little tasks at work that we hate if we do them well, are an act of worship. The mundane becomes God-glorifying when our hearts are right, when they're positioned and looking at our Father. So it's maybe saying, okay, Jeff, we get it. Devote our lives to God. Abide in Him. Learn to identify the distractions. Kill them off. But I know tomorrow's coming. And the distractions of life come again. And it's hard. And I know there's somebody in this room, whether one person or many, that's sitting here and going, you don't know my life. It's hard. My marriage sucks. Life is hard. This is the great, great thing. Grace upon grace upon grace. He says, I don't, you don't have to do five Steps to a spicy quiet time. You don't have to read your Bible any more than you're, you, you are right now. Not, not that first step. The first step is simple. And I know there's a devil out there that says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's real. But God says the first step is simple. Run to me. You don't have to figure it all out. Just today, if you're busted up and struggling with life, he says, run to me. I've said this before. God is not a God that's like, hmm, you did it again? Seriously? Can't get this one right? That's not the God I worship. Here's the God I worship. Come to me. Take a step. Run back to me. And I was like, I wonder if I have something that would illustrate that. It would be awesome. And then God planted this little seed. And it may be corny, but I think it's beautiful. Let's watch. And I let it run a little longer. <laughs> because when he starts to let go, he just grabs him again. <laughs> this is dumb, Sorry. We don't have to have it figured out, guys. Just run to him. If you'll notice in that video, and I watched this a two or three times through tears, is that I'm watching this, and I'm watching his friends around him, and they're all like, oh. He doesn't even notice his friends are around. His father is the only object of his devotion. And he sprints to him and he hugs him. That's that's what God's calling us to do. Grace upon grace upon grace. This year, it's not about, hey, man, I got to pick up my quiet time. Man, I got to get my prayers better. I got to make sure that I'm doing X, Y, and Z. In the book of Isaiah, it says that yes, do, do, do. And then he says, all I want is your heart. So for 2022, let's sit in the presence and linger in the presence of our God. Devote daily. Let's pray. Father God, thank you um, that your word is true that you don't require a whole lot, a humble and contrite heart. That's all you So if there are people in here that are struggling, like the rest of us, God, bring them to a place where they see the first step, the first step to lingering with you is taking a step towards you. So God, please. And the deep places of our hearts speak to us. Remove the distractions. Help us to tear those off and clothe ourselves in your son, Jesus. Help us to look a little bit more like him today and help us to devote our lives to him because he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. Father, we love you and praise you in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen.